we just kind of like chit chat and then that works its way usually into a cold open and then Paul kind of kicks us off and you know, we'll, we'll just wing it. I do my dumb announcer voice. And then after we're done, <laughs> this like amazing person edits it all together. Yes. This genius that we all love and adore. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's nice that you're both giving Ren a compliment and leaving stuff in the podcast that they may not want to have to cut out because it's complimentary <laughs> and but sort of the front end dribble that we're well known for. Well, I thought it would be more convenient if I just put it at the front. Well, no, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say, leave it in here. Leave, leave it in here. Let's let the cold open be our unadulterated appreciation and love for Ren, our amazing producer. Go. So be it. Welcome, cadets, officers, Borg, and everyone else to Gay Space Communism, your favorite leftist theory Star Trek podcast. I am always uh, your annoying announcer-voiced guy, Paul Byron, and joining me tonight is Amy and Corey and, oh my, a guest? Yeah. Well, uh, Corey. Yeah, so, okay, okay, yeah, I said I was going to introduce you, I'm sorry. So yes, I, <laughs> I wanted to. Yes, I, I am. I am. say hello first. Hello. <laughs> I was actually changing my name in the Discord in case in case it was forgotten what my name is because I. <laughs> uh, well, I know what your name is because I'm the one who asked you to join us, and I'm so happy to have my my dear friend Samantha with us today. Samantha is a she's she's a a brilliant political organizer. She has worked with a number of great progressive candidates, and in 2020, she became the first trans woman to manage a U.S. Senate campaign, uh, which was a landmark moment that got some coverage in the news and. And she's just genius, and I love collaborating with her on so many different projects. And then I come to find out, on top of all that other great stuff, she's also a massive Trek nerd. And so, obviously, we had to invite her here to join us for this really important discussion today that Amy is going to kind of shape up and lead us through. But welcome, Samantha. Thank you so much. Yeah, it made me really happy to find that you were you were also a Trek nerd. I, I think the message that I sent Corey was in reply to that was, no, not only am I a Trek nerd, but I'll, I'll sit here and debate the like merits of the Steamrunner class as a long-range attack vessel with you, if you like. <laughs> like we can get into levels of <laughs> Which is not quite where I'm at, but I do appreciate that commitment. <laughs> That's way more qualifications than I can even think of if I stretch out everything I've done a lot. So I'm kind of just in awe. Normally, we like to start by talking about what we've been watching. So why don't you start? Why don't you tell us that, Samantha? Recent episodes, yes. uh, anything uh, sci-fi adjacent you're enjoying? Absolutely. So uh, other than, you know, sitting back with popcorn and watching the inevitable collapse of American society, I, I've been uh, watching, I've been binging uh, season three of, of Discovery. And I was one of those people a couple of years ago. And the reason that I'm getting to it so late is because I, I was one of those people that was like, ew, lens flares, ew, J.J. Abrams style Trek, like, yuck, I'm not going to watch this. The design of the ship is terrible. I watched the first episode goodbye. <laughs> like that was my experience with Discovery like two years ago. Um, you leave my pizza cut her baby alone <laughs> and then like recently <laughs> i don't know like six months ago maybe i think after the election i was desperate for some comfort trek so i picked up i picked up uh lower decks and that actually is what sort of like expanded my horizons into the newer trek stuff because i i didn't you know nice. picard picard is one thing but like i didn't see some of the newer trek stuff is like uh it's off format it's not you know it's not the same like i'm gonna just go rewatch tng for the 82nd time but like you know, I, I gave Discovery a shot after I blew through Lower Decks, and the more I watched it, the more it wrecked me. Um, and the the third season, especially, is cutting deep. So, 
Well, you know, it's funny about having difficulty getting into Discovery. So my uh, my husband is a Trekkie too, but not on the extreme level that I am. And he actually was the one who convinced me to start watching Discovery when it first came out because my first reaction to was like, oh, God, this feels like a J.J. Abrams reboot. Like, God, help me. You know, I, so I, I just kind of avoid it for that reason. But he convinced me to give it a try. However, I kept watching and he stopped because he got so angry about the fact that they were torturing the tardigrade that he just wouldn't continue. He was like, <laughs> He's sitting next to me on the sofa right now, and he's, like, making a face like, I'm not watching that shit. (laughs) Samantha, just to catch you up, uh, this podcast does not acknowledge the Kelvin heresy. Good. Excellent. Yeah, I'm glad that that doesn't exist. It's a a relic of late-stage capitalism that should die on the same hill. You know, if you go in for Apocrypha, that's your business. It's yeah. fixed now, though. They are all owned by the same unified media entity. Unimatrix Mickey Mouse. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, I yeah. See, I, on the other hand, I lo- I, yeah, I'm I a huge Discovery fan. It's a little weird. Like, they do a lot of the prequel stuff that I always hate. People like, hey, see, it's the thing you remember from the next one? Yeah, we're doing that. But I think season three really got them out from under a lot of that. And yes. just because you spend a bunch of money on effects doesn't make it J.J. Abramsy. But I understood the reticence, too. I was like, what? But no, no. There's a bunch of highfalutin speeches coming from guys with face stuff. It's all <laughs> kinds of It's Star Trek. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like it really came into its own in season two. And it was really interesting because to me, it seemed like some of the the tropes that we see in Trek over and over, like the same old crises, they were they subverted those a lot. And they came up with really new, interesting novel like, oh, no, everything's broken. The ship is on fire crises that I hadn't seen in Trek before. So it's really interesting. And they even got a couple of Planet of the Week. They had a time loop. You got Harry yeah. Mudd. It's Trek, you know, the leaned into mirror it. Mirror Universe stuff, though. Oh, my God. I can't remember, like, I can't tell you how long, how many years I've been like, man, I wish there was just a Mirror Universe, like, series, right? And we kind of got that a little bit. <laughs> like, yeah, like watching the promo, the promo that they've recorded for the two Enterprise Mirror episodes. They're like, oh, I want this show. I want fascist, fashy boys. Give me that. Give me that Dr. Mengele yeah, it's like, can we Can we have, like, the Man in the High Castle but like 300 years later, like just by <laughs> by like Terran Empire storylines, right? Oh, right. But oh man, we'll we'll get further into discovery in a little bit. Uh, Corey, what do you what do you what do you got on the tubes? Yeah, so I'm still as longtime listeners know, I'm still working my way through a chronological watch of all Trek, and that's uh, timeline chronological, not production order chronological. So I started, uh, you know, I've watched all of it. The only thing I haven't seen any of yet is Lower Decks, and I haven't gotten to it at that point in the the cycle yet. But I've been following um, a guide to watch it all in order, and right now I am in the middle of Deep Space Nine and parts where it's overlapping with Voyager. So I'm pretty deep into the. Uh, which is like like you, Samantha. Like I'm Deep Space Nine is the one that I've watched the most. So I'm even though I've seen all these episodes dozens of times, I'm still like relishing them every single time. And I'm actually really enjoying the kind of the way because the seasons overlap. I'll watch like a couple episodes of Deep Space Nine, and then I'll switch over and watch a couple episodes of Voyager. And I kind of like that better than just watching all of one and then watching all of the next one, which is how I've always watched it before, because it just provides a little fresh contrast to uh, appreciate the little nuances that are going on. Sure, you're right in the middle of the Dominion War, and then it's Barclay on vacation. No, that's, yeah, I mean, that's, yeah, la- exactly. that's later era Voyager, I think. But yeah, that, that's a, it is a good, it does, it does seem a fun contrast to get out of once because DS9 can get dark. Yeah, and and definitely, like, it's just where I am in Deep Space Nine is just where it's starting to get really dark. Like, the Cardassians of Dust joined the Dominion, so that hasn't really kicked off fully yet, but, like, that conflict is going, and it's about to get, like, real. 
So yeah, I feel like my favorite episodes of DS9 were the ones that were like reflective and looking back at Earth, you know, like the terrorism changeling freak out episodes and oh, yeah, the the time travel ones with the the, mm-hmm. the bell riots that in particular was really incredible to me. And, yeah. and the sci-fi story episodes just top. Yeah, out. Far Beyond the Stars. Yeah, yeah we just talked about you. that one the other day with, with Grav and Kennedy. And that's t- Far Beyond the Stars is not only one of the best episodes of Trek. In my view, it's like one of the best episodes of television ever produced, period. Absolutely. I was actually um, driving back to New Mexico while y'all were recording and stopped at Grav's house later that night. So we got to talk all about it. Oh, that's, that's awesome. Um, so how is how's Grav, by the way, Amy? Oh, they're doing great. Well, they're they're storing my plants for me while I get my shit together and get moved across the country. So uh, I was able to pick up some from them, and they're doing really well on their porch. And um, let's see. They have this adorable dog. You've probably heard it. We'll include a picture of the dog in the show notes. Um, oh, so uh, just, I just want to say, for the record, we always say we're going to put such and such in the show notes, and then every time we post an episode, we don't put anything in the show notes. Sorry. Hey, guess what? <laughs> I'm a liar. I'm sorry. I wish I were better, but I can't. It's not just you. We all do it. No, no, none of us. Well, we just wish we could be carried further by some kind of automaton. We looked back, and it was Data's legs, which is carrying us along. Oh, <laughs> so I have been not watching much at all. I have just been watching uh, Joe because it's kind of fun to fall asleep to honestly because it's long and kind of tedious at times but it's nice the puns are good uh, let's move on amy what do you what have you been scoping out lately well i'm still on pause from my randomized watch of all track and because i got i got stuck on voyager i just started a watch through and then i got stuck on specifically episode 14 of season one which i've watched a couple times now instead of moving on because i don't know there's a lot of star trek episodes that deal with some aspect of the trans experience and this one deals with maybe like sort of the more um complicated feelings surrounding that so yeah i've been stuck there so, uh, Samantha, I wanted to ask you, um, what was your first episode of Trek where you were like, oh, that's about being trans? You know, I think because it just so happened that the Trek that I watched first was some combination of TNG and Voyager on this little tiny CRT TV, like in my parents' bedroom, like in a corner somewhere, that I just kind of, I think I kind of ran across some of, I think it has to be the the Riker Genderless Society episode whose name escapes me. That's probably the one that stood out to me immediately. And I know that that was like coded as, suppose, you know, it, their intention wasn't to code that as like trans, but it obviously does. And it's kind of funny in, in the whole like cishet way of not understanding the difference between like gender and sexuality that they would accidentally create a trans episode. But yeah. Yeah, Trek is often accidentally great. <laughs> um, and this episode was, it is planet mandatory NB. Was the, uh... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, that's that's yeah, what I... we call it. Yeah. <laughs> that's definitely not what they, this, the, no. Um, no, I, I just looked it up. Yeah, it's um, The Outcast is the name of there the episode go. from TNG. Yeah, um, there you go. And, um, you know, I was reading about it as a refresher as well, and I thought it was really interesting. Apparently, uh, Jonathan Frakes has said that he wishes that Soren, Riker's love interest in that story, was played by a man. And I was like, oh, that's really interesting. So, like, I think they intended it to be coded oh, as, wow. like, a, a gay story. And in reality, it ended up being very gender-focused, obviously. So Yeah. That's really interesting. I didn't know that about Frakes. Hmm. 
I mean, you know, uh, I haven't been out long, but like, I think for me, it's the it's the episode with Kareel, the the host episode. I think when I watched that with an awareness of being trans for the first time, I was just going through a breakup that had a lot to do with gender stuff, and boy, did that hit me hard, <laughs> so hard. <laughs> So that's really interesting because this is something that I was starting to talk about before we started recording. But in Discovery, season three Discovery, spoilers ahead. Let's just stop right here before we go any (laughs) further. Hi, you're listening to a very obscure podcast about a television show. It takes an hour to listen to this. We have made more of these than there are episodes of Star Trek Discovery, which has been out since before we started releasing episodes. Go watch the content. We will try and keep the spoilers limited and timestamp, but it's going to be largely thematic. And we're going to talk about the trills, which get unpacked in about one major episode for much of that, I think. Anyway, hey, actually, we've been we've been getting some um, some pushback on Twitter about this lately, and I think we need to take a hard line. Yeah. Keep up. Keep up, audience. We're going to try our best to hold off for you because we understand these are paid services and a lot of the things are long as shit. There's a lot of content to chew through. But again, they've got spoilers for the next season that are out. We'll talk about those at the end of... Well, actually, we won't because it'll be too late. Anyway, spoilers are already out. We're talking about this. The new episodes have probably even started airing. Anyway, season three discovery. Please talk, (laughs) Samantha. Yeah, and to the listeners, by the power vested in me by the trans agenda, if you don't watch (laughs) the trans episodes in season three of Discovery, you're a transphobe, so go, go. <laughs> um, but anyway, this cast supports this message. I I think what really hit me in Discovery. So a, a character appears, Adira, who is initially transcoded, right? And it's a trill story. And my immediate reaction was like, oh my god, not another not going there trans trill storyline where they're never going to actually broach the subject, just kind of leave it in the background. Ugh. Yeah, that was my like initial reaction, and I was I was irritated. I hated it. And then you know maybe two or three episodes into this character who is dating a someone who appears to be a transmasculine character and I, I don't know if that's been like confirmed as, as a trans man canonically but he, who is the previous trail host of the the symbiont i think like maybe three episodes into this character being on the show the character just randomly turns to one of the other main characters and they're like actually it's it's they and and they just do this like really beautiful clean pronoun switch and my mouth hit the floor, my jaw hit the floor, because I never thought, even in 2021, 2020, whenever this was made, that I would see Trek go there. Because to some extent, you know, and I think I justified this this to myself in the past, I was thinking like, well, okay, I mean, if I were in the 2260s or whatever, presumably transition would be relatively simple and widely accepted. And therefore, maybe that's why it's not a big deal on screen. You know, that's sort of the, the, the mentality that I have, at least as far as binary transition goes. But here we see like truly non-binary characters and that made my heart smile so i'm so glad i have that to look forward to i have not uh seen discovery yet but i also don't care about spoilers and audience you shouldn't either everyone dies (laughs) i mean i don't know (laughs) it is it is ultimately kind of wild in a world where we've already incorporated this into i mean this is obviously one of the limitations of television but in a world where we have already incorporated this at least in part into our just general presentation right you could put it on your resume on any number of bios and that's a totally appropriate normal thing to do to think that starfleet does not have this already like on your file like your computers are all integrated is it not just helping you with this at all times but again for television no it's 
because this is, does doesn't exist. Like this this information this is not the the conversation you've ever seen on TV. So yeah, but it's Star Trek kind of pushing that pushing at the message, which I love, which you were here for. Yeah, I mean, and, it, and I mean they have the medical technology where they can like make you look like a goddamn Klingon if if they if the, if you if that's what you want. So right, like, and very functionally apparently they did a gender reassignment surgery effectively for Quark so that he could just for a disguise. For God's yeah. <laughs> Right. Right. So like it's, like no, it's yeah. no big deal. We can just go ahead and turn that on and off like a light switch. And they make super <laughs> yeah. good bigger ears. I mean, like the Ferengi faulty department is doing a great job of just clip ons for oh, uh, man. Uh, which we again, these are the weirder DS9 episodes. But these uh, like sort of the whole Ferengi gender and dynamic and environment <laughs> is very is an entirely different episode we could do. Amy, you had. Yeah, because you you had sort of a direction you wanted to take this, which I think is reflected in the episodes you picked to talk about a lot which were as you start off with the host which yeah. is classic tng beverly crusher has a bad time relating to a trill yeah and it sets the tone right it sets the tone of star trek with trans and queer issues which is chickening the hell out right every single time good Thank god you. it really killed me yeah oh before i moved on though like transporter accidents right do they just pair up and wait like trans men and trans women well i mean again i think the steve's we don't need to do that this way clearly yeah you could go to your nearest you could go to your nearest like you know like to Cheryl, shop put more shop on yeah put more on shave it off whatever direction you want to go he can just do it with a little laser like, whose boobs do you want like what era and they're like oh okay Data's over here like, I'm fully functional. <laughs> like, I'm sure we could do some basic <laughs> medical. He's got extra heads in his cabinet. Of course he's got other stuff. He just shows up one day with a beard because he wanted to try out having a beard. I mean, he can clearly swap out whatever he wants. I'm sure he could swap it out for a vibrating head. I'm sure he could. Oh, a swap out for? It's stock. I mean, come on. <laughs> Imagine, imagine how amazing it would be to be gender fluid in the Star Trek universe and just have like a portable holographic generator you carry around with you. You're just like, eh, masculine features. Let's go. Or a portable DNA resequencer. The closest thing we got to that actually was the offspring where Data actually creates his child and explicitly says, this is one of the times I think that Trek, in my opinion, please correct me if you have a different view, but I feel like it was less of a chickening out where they, he explicitly said, I'm going to let my child choose their own gender and appearance. Yeah, that's that's one of the moments where they stood up, you know, and um, yeah. they had the episode at all with the host. So, you know, they're doing something. And I think that when they took another swing at it with um, reassociation and DS9, they tried a little bit harder, but it's still chickening out if at the end of the episode, nothing has changed. And I don't watch the end of that episode anymore because it hurts me too much. Yeah, and it also it also really kind of reinforces gender norms, even as they're trying to lean into it, they're they're really reinforcing the binary. Yeah, I think of any society in Star Trek that I could imagine would be Ferengi notwithstanding would be like really picky about gender. I feel like Klingons probably I would say are probably pretty picky about gender roles, just given their culture. I wouldn't be surprised if Vulcans are too. I mean, Vulcans are like super big into arranged marriages and like really traditional in that sense and seem to have, despite all their logic, seem to have very rigid views on gender roles in society. Well, and sexuality doesn't seem to be a big part of their psychology. It's just kind of procreative. Right. 
a seven-year itch, if you will. Although I will <laughs> say that this is Kirstie Alley erasure, which is fine because she's trash now. But again, there are female, or let's assume Kirstie Alley's playing a female uh, Vulcan. There's darts in the jacket. It's the 80s. I don't know. That being said, she's in Starfleet. No one joins it is not the problem. That uh, Vulcans don't show up at Starfleet does not seem to be the issue because they also have their exploratory core, which uh, they deal with early on and a little bit in Discovery where Burnham is like, I want to do that. And they're like, no, yeah, we can give it to Spock. And then Spock also goes to Starfleet. Real bummer for uh, Sarek. That being said, I, th I feel like the Vulcans, you could at least argue, have a more gender neutral society in terms of any expectations of that. Because illogical. Yeah. Illogical if it just every seven years, everyone gets super horny and then they someone gets pregnant. Like, okay, and then we take care of them until that happens. Then we put them in a tube and they get taught by a computer to do stuff. It's very, their child rearing process doesn't seem great, but that's different. <laughs> that's different. That's different from the gender issue, right? <laughs> What is the worst episode that you can think of, Amy, as far as like gender issues go in track? Like, was there an episode that like just you were like, oh, my God, that's so obnoxious. I mean, maybe the quirk gender bending stuff. See, I don't know. I you thought know, that was funny. But maybe that's just I thought it was funny, but it, it like you know, I, I perceive that as like a drag narrative more than anything yeah, else. Yeah, no, like I, I laughed at it, but I also felt making it safe by making it funny and non threatening. Oh know? yeah, yeah. A little yeah, bit of that sure. to it. Um, the nineties, the nineties yeah. vibe. And I think I mean I have the same problems with the gender neutral planet episode. I think that they went there, but then, um, you know, they were doing it by accident. Maybe the, that was the real problem with that episode. If they'd done it on purpose, they wouldn't have stumbled into some really weird conflation of gender and sexuality. Now, yeah. the one that I find gets at the body horror of dysphoria to me is um, this Voyager episode I picked out. And I don't even know if I like watching it. It's just, it means some things to me. I don't know if you know it. Um, it's Faces. It's in season one episode 14 now this might be i don't even think everybody would say this is a transcoded narrative but i think that taking what we've talked about where a teleporter can can just resequence your dna we kind of hinted at where i'm going with this like what if you could do that well, let's break off for a second. Phases of, is, of course, where Belana Torres is kidnapped, and in order to cure the phage, they rip her in half. And there's a human one and a Klingon one, and they she gets to wear both no makeup and more makeup, and the acting is pushed both as like a she's more human and it, it, yeah there is a difficult question then of yeah which amy will now can now get back into but just to yeah. refresh you so you don't have to go you look it up every wikipedia we say yeah this is my favorite transcoded narrative in star trek because of the splitting of the self but it's my least favorite transcoded narrative in star trek because they make her human half unable to survive and i felt like that's like it's where it fails you know it succeeds in this one aspect and fails in another aspect and yeah. i really would have rather had both of those both halves survive but there are specific things in this episode that make me feel so that it's such a trans narrative you know down to like after HRT, I found myself, you know, less red zone, maybe more empathetic. And the way the two halves of Balana solve problems reminds me of that difference, you know, gestures towards that difference to me. And what if you could get in there biologically? What if I could, and this is probably problematic to say, but what if I could just strip out my Y chromosome, you know? Interesting. 
Yeah, I think that kind of like reflects back to what I was talking about with how medical technology and just the ability to like mess with your aesthetics and, and presentation in the start in the Trek universe is so advanced. I mean, I, I imagine that any adult could probably walk up to any clinic and be like, I want you to make me look like this. And they would be able to do that. Right. So like, I don't know if like genetic manipulation would be even be necessary at that point. I mean, but it could certainly be a part of it, I guess. I just, uh, I think the thing that's really interesting about that episode is that it's almost like it created this, like, it's, you're right. It's like, it's almost like, um, like a masculine and feminine self in, in, in the way that they present the like Klingon and human sides of Balana. Uh, Even and... to the detail where, like, the Klingon half carries the human half <laughs> for a while. Yeah. So, like, she's ready to start taking part in the problem solving, which is, <laughs> yeah. like, whoa, on the nose. I would have <laughs> really liked it if they had made it where it was, like, an element of each piece of her personality was required to solve the near, like, the problem of the episode, right? Well, that was how it worked. Like, the... mm, Yeah, but they took a while to get there, though. Yeah, yeah, and it should have been, yeah, they could have done more of that, for sure. Well, they were, I think they were trying to do, like, a less problematic interpretation of that TOS episode where Kirk got split into his evil half and his good half and concluded that episode by saying, like, I guess you need to be a little bit evil. (laughs) (laughs) Remember that one? I mean, it was like a a boy that was just, because his his evil half just, uh, we talked about this. Sexually assaults a yeoman. Yeah, straight like, up sexually assault a yeoman, and he's at the end. He's just like, "Well, guess you got to be a little bit sexual assaulty," and like, "No, you don't." Um, yeah, I, so I think they were trying to do like a version of that, but like you said, they uh, as as Trek so often does when they get it, something like this right, they do it kind of on accident, and they created this this transcoded narrative instead, which I think is it's. I actually really love that episode. Faces, I think it's brilliant. And I think there's there's another reading here that might have more to do with race, but because, you know, like Klingons are blackface, even when you put meatloaf on top. But yeah, so as the metaphor, like, where does it break down? It breaks down because her human half can't live by themselves. And it gets at the question, what if I had transitioned sooner, right? That like is a is a thing in every every trans woman's head, I think. What if it had happened sooner? It's like, oh, what if I could go all the way back to conception Is is how I think about that kind of resequencing of her DNA. Yeah, I so that's that's really interesting because for me like I transitioned getting close to 8 years ago now um fully at, as far as like social transition goes and med- like uh, starting HRT around that time. So I kind of I felt that way I think initially but I've kind of evolved to the point where I recognize that like if I had been able to make that choice if I had been like oh yep I'm I'm going to be born as like a cis woman or or what have you or even a cis man I would be a very very different person now. Like you know I, I grew up in a rural conservative religious area and it, and I started out as a close you close your ears libertarian. So because it was the only option that wasn't Republican, right? It's okay. There's <laughs> hope place. for everyone. You're on the Max Sterner to Perdone pipeline. Totally. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. We're gonna. Ah, we're. we're ah. I, I'm, I'm sitting. I'm sitting right around a little bit left of Demsos right now. So we're we're getting there. Um. <laughs> But the uh, you're think... you're an excellent company, Samantha. I mean, I I went through the exact same journey. I was raised in a super conservative household, and don't okay. I'm confession time. I actually once donated money to John McCain. So you know, but now I'm a it socialist. Could be worse. So here we are. It could be worse. Yes, yeah, sure. people can change, y'all. People can change. Yeah, you can change. Random one right wing.
winger that listens to this show, you can change. You hate <laughs> listening to this show. If I wasn't trans and I didn't get ripped out of that cultural environment, I probably would be a massive douche. Like to the level of like, like yeah, let's take the Capitol building, fellas. Like, <laughs> you know, like it's. Oh, just, I like, refuse to believe that. I refuse. I don't know, man. That. I don't know. You, you know, it's well. Imagine me being on the other side, Corey. Like all of the 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 like nice things you said about me at the beginning of the episode. Like imagine that. <laughs> Like, he's worked closely with the Heritage Foundation, Raytheon, and many others to rewrite your textbooks. <laughs> See, yeah. Uh, thank you so much yeah. for presenting that perspective because I think I need to think about my own journey a little more like that. And I appreciate that. You know, I started HRT like five and a half months ago. And so, how does being 16 feel? <laughs> Oh, ha <laughs> ha, puberty. Oh, um, puberty too. What did I say the other day? Puberty too is crying because you'll, you feel like you're never going to be pretty. And then two hours later crying because your girlfriend made you feel so pretty and you don't deserve it. So that sounds really, really <laughs> as unstable as I remember it. Puberty. They, the reason we try and make you only do it once, try right? Uh, two of them, I know, right? Oh, no shit. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Oh, yeah. No, I've said many, many times that you could not pay me enough money to go back to high school. So empathy <laughs> all around for that. <laughs> And that's yeah, really interesting. Like that, that's a really good segue to to Adira in Discovery, right? So like they are in a in a position at this point where I mean I think they're what sixteen in the show. At least they're you know yeah the they're te- they're they're a, adult teen ish. They are clearly too young, too smart is kind of the trope that the character runs in. So let's call them sixteen. That yeah, seems and fair. they're well actually I think that's explicitly stated. I think is like that they're sixteen um, years. Old. I just assumed yeah the vaguely underage was always kind of put in play and because they have to adopt them right yeah and i think they're such an interesting character because they are like very visibly going through what i think is coded as like a puberty experience as a non-binary person that doesn't like they're binding right like you can sort of it's that look that like discomfort that you can just sort of tell exists there for them which i think is really interesting by the way i mean i don't know if that's like meant to be a part of the show because you know if i were in that situation in the 30 what is it the 3200s and we've got like magical zappy medical tools i probably would just fix that in like three seconds with it like random buzzy laser you know take literally three seconds Buzzy laser <laughs> but like well, it's the it's the magic button question right like would you hit the consequence free swap button you know i mm, think a lot yeah. of people would hit it exactly once and a lot of people would hit it twice a day yeah and i think that's where that's where they are to some extent too because like i said they're they're definitely like explicitly non-binary so whereas their boyfriend is transmasculine canonically so this is like a really interesting uh dynamic there and then you have the you have the gay dads you have stamets and uh q the i'm sorry the two magic gay dads they've both have some kind of immeasurable cosmic power both of them yeah Which I love. It's like reminder, like they're not just any gay. It's like you got a 900 year old child and then two trans cosmic gay dads. It's a great yeah, family. Like, I know. Is, and, and the gay dads are like one of them like came back from the dead and the other one is like high on mushrooms all the time. So it's like a really interesting situation to like. I can smell time, <laughs> Hugh. I'm going to start identifying as trans cosmic. Yeah, yeah. So you have, as these two put it, these cosmic magical gay dads, one of whom like died and came back to life and the other one who's high on mushrooms all the time. So like, <laughs> and and they just sort of like adopt this, like, you know, unspokenly adopt this, uh, this non-binary character. And it's just like the most wholesome, delightful thing. And I, I've cried no fewer than three times watching these episodes. 
yeah, those those that stand out to me, and I'll admit it, like they're episodes that have a lot to do with where I am and transition. You know, they're episodes that have a lot of regret and a lot of disappointment and a lot of like tough stuff to them. But yeah, there's other parts of that narrative, right? There's there's joy to be had in transition too. And I think Samantha, it is very true. You know, you wouldn't be the same person without it, and I wouldn't either. So yeah, I I, ha- I have a secret that I always cut the trans episodes before the return to normality happens. And I think that everyone should start doing that. Just just cut the host right before Fadden freaks out. Cut faces right before they turn her back and cut reassociation without the waiting at the dock scene and you're fine. Turns them all into hopeful episodes. But um there are a few yeah. that are like that. I mean episodes where you say, oh just watch the B plot or oh just end it there. Yeah. So reassociation is the last we really get of the trill before discovery. And it's just such a weird line because it is so oddly lore-ish, but for no reason and with no input. And they come back, they're so mystical about, no, you can't just have your 900-year-old thing, your old things can't be friends ever again and can't kiss. You can't touch. You can't talk. When clearly Dax is kind of a perv. Run, like, and good for pervs, right? <laughs> like, yeah. Why? Also, why? How come? How come her and Julian never got to be a thing? Like that made me so sad. Like, because he's a creeper. Amy, get in here on Julian's a fuckboy. Well, <laughs> Julian's either a fuckboy or he is literally the most queer coded character in Trek. I'm not sure which. He's a one twink. Yet. Yeah, he's a trans guy, actually. Oh. <laughs> in, oh. in the head. All right. Well, because okay. he okay. had a lot of I'm revelations here. these last few episodes. This is good stuff. Like Doctor Doctor Bashir, I presume. You know, when Bashir's uh, parents come to the station, right? And they're calling him Jules, and he gets pissed at them for that. And and he's like, "I'm not." He literally, and I, I pulled this quote up because I wanted to. I wanted to talk about this. Uh, I think it's his father says, "You don't understand, Jules. You never did." And then Bashir goes, "No, you don't understand. I stopped calling myself Jules when I was 15, and I found out what you'd done to me. I'm Julian. What difference does that make?" His father asks. It makes every difference because I'm different. Can't you see? There's this like very that episode that's so good yeah and bashir is it, it's such a transcoded narrative i mean it could even be explicit right because he's got this like secret that he was genetically manipulated and if anyone finds out it's going to destroy his career and his life and his social environment and everybody's going to think of him differently and then when people do find out they start treating him differently like look at uh look at his relationship with chief o'brien like as soon as chief o'brien is like aha he is he is genetically engineered eg he is a trans man there's this whole like bravado like almost gender coded kind of competitiveness between him and o'brien who feels uncomfortable around him suddenly because of the revelation so it's like a very very trans narrative there's actually a great exchange that happens between i just just was reminded of this as you were describing that samantha one of the episodes where julian and miles are talking about their close friendship and miles is commenting on how much better julian understands him than keiko does and he says why can't she be more like you why can't she be more like and then he stops and julian says a man <laughs> like, and, and Miles is like, I right, well, you know, it was just, it was a great moment, and I love thinking about it in the context of what you just framed of him being a trans man. I love it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's Julian's a trans man, and Miles is uh, is like <laughs> Catholic Irish dude from the south of Ireland. Like, it's he's got that's the whole thing, you know. Right. It's that like mashup, and I know that like again back to the Trek accidentally doing things. I know that like they intended him to be like gay coded but again i think a trans coded narrative fits him better 
Wow, they did it accidentally again. Hey, um, so <laughs> does having a, an emotional support lizard make you more or less a transcoded narrative for Bashir? Are we talking about Garrick here? Yes. Emotional uh, support lizard. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, we do have queer comorbidities. So like, if you're queer in one sense, you're usually queer in another. So like, sure. I mean, they're totally gay lovers. Let's Let's go with that. We were speculating about this a little on the pod the other day, and let's see, Miles is his boyfriend, then he has an emotional support lizard, and a daddy, <laughs> section 31 is definitely a daddy for him. <laughs> Pleather daddy. Yeah. <laughs> That's it, that was, yep, he's, well, you know. Shows that he shows up in your bedroom unannounced, and you go on some kind of weird BDSM adventure, and you're like, <laughs> well, that was interesting, I'm gonna tell my other poly partner about it, and then yeah. Speaking of that, don't you think that the episodes with like the seven deadly sins a neurotypical characters are like very... they come up a lot the poster yeah. child of poster boys is one of my number one targets on the show which is the mustache <laughs> yeah. one but is that, is that not a poly family like a really really weird poly family or a gamer group a dnd group that's what it reminds <laughs> yeah. me of yeah. Yeah, DS9 as a whole, like the the whole senior staff of of DS9 is just one gigantic oh, polycool. We've yeah, we've already fucking, declared that for sure. <laughs> I, I mean, but, but but Space Dad must get lonely when Cassidy isn't around. Oh no, he's that's why he <laughs> plays baseball. He's just such a huge baseball nerd because the only thing that keeps his mind off of constantly doing war stuff. Can't imagine casual genocide. He's always disappearing off to the celestial temple, so I don't think he has quite as much time for. Although he does get down, he does throw down with a mirror universe Dax. So is that just him, like watching this polycule around him and being like, "I'll be in my bunk. Yeah. I'm gonna go build a giant <laughs> <Yeah>. sailboat." <laughs> right. I, it's like, uh, does anybody does anybody ever watch the quirk gender episodes and want to just throw pray tell from Pose in there to criticize him? Like, I just want pray tell to hop from Pose. You know, you, you've seen that, I'm sure. No, I may not have. What? Uh, <laughs> I'm what? actually not sure. I live under somewhat of a rock. Okay, all of your queer and leftist cards are officially revoked. Oh, like, no. go watch uh... Pose. Go watch Pose, please. Okay. At least the like first season. Trigger warning: it's rough, especially the first episode and the every other episode, but especially the first one. Oh, sweet. So, yeah, what is it? Okay, this looks good. Pose. It's. Uh, I think it's on HBO. Oh, okay, I'll check That's it out. That's fine. Tell us about it. Or give us a quick... Give... Yeah, so it's a show about the drag ball scene in New York in the 1980s and the queer houses and how all of that works. And it's really amazing. And uh, yeah, there's some really interesting stuff about that show. I won't get into it too, into yeah. it too much. But, but no, anyway... No, everyone's uh, got Googles. That seems good. I'm going to look, look at it. I'll be yeah, checking yeah, that I'm gonna out. Yeah, I'm going to check it out for sure. So I was actually... Y'all have been making me think of one of the weirder episodes in uh, which is the lineage uh, the discussion of going back to like conception right like to resetting the entire genetic sequence lineage is just Belana Torres decides to start mucking about in her DNA with the doctor to make the kid look less Klingon and the very bad CGI which is one part of it that I that's funny but then the rest of it is like wait at what point is this Julian Bashiring or at what point are we going to the point like what is the legality any of the rules of any of this really like like it seems like oh it's illegal because you make these weirdos is the real problem because the con issue doesn't seem to be the problem or not the issue that they're trying to prevent there yeah i don't think their baby was ever going to be con like i think we're good 
ha, sure. But like, yeah, I mean, but obviously this is within, yeah, their capacity. It really is just a matter of switching back and pushing Yeah, around. and also Starfleet regulations immediately disappear as soon as you cross the border into the Delta Quadrant. So <laughs> like, it's all a subjective experience. <laughs> well, I wouldn't go that far. I would say they disappear as soon as they become inconvenient to Jane, Jane. who is my second favorite <laughs> captain. But yes. it is pretty much what does Janeway feel like abiding by today? Sorry, we've got to let that planet die because I haven't had my coffee this morning. Right. Oh, it is a little bit girl boss energy feels there. Um. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> I do love Janeway, though. But no, I got to say, like, I don't know if there's like, if we're just talking about like things that Trek accidentally gets right. There's a flip side of that. And this isn't necessarily about transcoded narratives, but um, but I think it's just relevant to the LGBT experience and really how limited the LGBTQIA representation in, in Trek overall is. I mean, as inclusive as the fan community is and as the, you know, the actors and the, the, the concept of the storyline, the actual representation within the stories themselves is, is really just shockingly limited when you think about it. And that, I just kind of ran like headfirst into a brick wall of that when I was rewatching an episode of Voyager recently where um, there's the episode called, um, I think it's called Favorite Son, where uh, Harry Kim is suddenly like infected with some alien DNA and is made to believe that he is like a lost member of an alien race that found his way home by instinct and it's it's actually like a planet of uh, women that kidnap alien men and you know suck their DNA dry to yeah the siren song kind of thing but there's this whole conversation that takes place where you know one of harry's talking to one of the other men that they've brought in and he's saying like oh she's gonna be my first wife and that one's gonna be my second wife and he's like really so many wives and he literally they asked like what do you call it when people are bonded in your where you came from and he says oh well it's we call it marriage but it's usually just one man and one woman and literally like it just i know it was produced in 1997 and i realized that you know marriage they live in space just, though you can say they fuck i but just like just just to say like straight up just like i mean it was it was like a, like a line lifted out of the republican national convention like and just to hear it in trek expressed so like explicitly was just jarring and really made me sit back and think about how much further the series needs to go to really get better representation across that spectrum like an elderly relative sometimes you just have to ignore something trek says Oh, I was gonna yes. I was gonna finish that sentence with put them out of their misery, but maybe we have different interpretations. <laughs> Depends on how hard they're trying. Fair enough. Shout out to my amazing grandparents. <laughs> Aw. It only took what, thirty years from Riker to say it's hard to grasp the idea of no gender to them saying you call me they them straight into the camera. So better, worse, good, bad. Up to you. But you know what? You got to think about this. Like they had the foresight to do. I mean, with the problems that still existed with that episode, they still had the relationship ex- being explored and gender fluidity explored in that episode of TNG. You know, with uh, with Soren. But it was. I, I, I mean, gosh, I think it was almost. It was almost ten years later because that was early in. Uh, now I guess that was like midway through TNG. So this was like six years or seven years later in terms of production timeline that Voyager aired that episode where Harry Kim's like marriage is between one man and one woman. Like what the fuck? Like we just we just like threw ourselves back a whole few centuries when like ten years ago Will Riker was like parading around in in frilly dresses that were for a matriarchal society and like not feeling weird about it at all it's just ah. 
I don't know. So now we get into some American politics here, though, because that that progression that you noticed is exactly how it happened in the political sphere, because other than, you know, the AIDS crisis and Reagan stuff, culturally speaking, I think as we go into the 90s, we start to see the impact of evangelical, evangelical, you know what I mean? Evangelicals. (laughs) All the churches all started doing letter writing campaigns and making their voices known. Yeah, that. Uh that bad kind of yeah Yeah, and you see like that that type of language what you quoted there that specific phrasing doesn't really exist further back into the 70s and 80s so that was an evolution of the evangelical takeover of the republican party uh in a large society that was some asshole in the writing room that needed to be fucking fired is what that was right but i'm just saying like but that phrase said in that way didn't exist previously yeah it does it sounds like something rick berman threw in there yeah. This is 1991, the heart of bipartisanship. <laughs> yeah, that episode with um, that I was talking about with Harry Kim, that aired in 1997, um, which was, I think, isn't that the year that, like, Newt Gingrich took over as a as speaker. speaker? Yeah. 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 So there you go. This is all Newt yeah, Gingrich's that, that fault. that lines up too perfectly to be an accident. <laughs> yeah, this is all Newt Gingrich's fault, I've decided. It was probably in the news, and the writer who was, I assume, conservative threw that in there because, of course, they did. Or you, I talk often of the CBS guy that thinks you can't make it that gay. We have to sell washing machines. And I mean, essentially representing the commercial pressure that would be applied in general, right? Like you've got consultants hanging around beyond the writer's room that say, hey, you see this now. And that those I'm sure, yeah, get oral histories do not get unpacked enough. Maybe I could read some of them. We'll find yeah. out. Yeah, let's talk more about, about the outcast specifically because the Please. episode with Soren and Riker, something that I thought was really interesting was they have this, this is another one of those like when Janeway, I know it's a TNG episode, but it's like a when Janeway feels like it kind of uh, thing because they invoke general order number one. They invoke like the prime directive in a sense in saying like, oh, we can't interfere with this cultural thing. But they've got this character who's clearly like, I need help. Get me out of here. Uh, and then they just kind of like leave her to suffer <laughs> like what amounts to torture and re-education. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, pray away. The gay camp is legal. You have to go there. We'll see you later. Right. It's not like this was a pre-warp society. Like, they went there. The ship was there. Like, they're, like, transporting around all over the place. It's like, yeah, okay. It's like, are we, you're the, the, the first officer of, a, of, a, of the Federation flagship. You're not going to intervene in this situation with this, like, person who, if you had said the words to this care to Soren, if Riker had been like, hey, here's the, here's the asylum regulations. Do you want me to save you from this? Can totally do that. Like, it, I, it's just, I don't know. It, it was, well, it was such a cop out. Let's think about that for a second, because um, this is something that we got into a little bit with our discussion the other day with Grab and Kennedy, where we were talking about Picard as a captain really having a stick up his ass about being a role follower. And that's why he's not my favorite captain. I think Cisco would have granted asylum. I'm not sure about Janeway. I think it would have depended on how she was feeling in the moment. I really wish that I could believe they were trying to make some sort of point about, you know, people applying for refugee status who happen to be queer, but I know that they can't be actually trying to do that. Oh, well. Well, but that never happened, though. Like, nobody from the crew, Riker or anybody else ever was like, hey, Sora, do you know what asylum is? Do you know that's a thing you can no, do? No, he did. He did actually. Soren, really? Or, or he, yeah, Riker actually told Soren, like, we can, we can protect you. You can come with us. But by that point, Soren had already gone through the the reeducation, oh, you know, okay. 
had already gone through that and was like, no, no, don't you understand? I was sick. I'm fine now. I got help. And yeah, it was, it was awful. Oh, that breaks but, my um, heart. I forgot about that. Yeah, I think I wrote that out of my brain, maybe. And Worf actually, like, went down to help him. Like, Worf said, hey, I, I can tell you're getting ready to go run off and go do some stuff, and I don't want to let you go alone. So, so Worf went down with him. You know how I love murder for honor. <laughs> That's right. But it's for honor. He's right. He's like, yeah, this is you're doing the right thing. This person blinked yeah. a bunch at us and needs help, said they needed help, so more or less. Yeah. I just glanced yeah. at the, the Memory Alpha article about the episode, and it says, Riker asks the tribunal for permission to give Soren asylum. Since when do you ask the oppression, oppressive government permission to give asylum to an asylum seeker? What the fuck? <laughs> like, yeah, that's... The proceduralism is so... Exactly. That sounds like something the United States would do. Oh my god! But that's not exactly how it went. That's not exactly how it played out. What it was is, is the tribunal was going on, and he jumped in and said, "Listen, you know, you don't have to do this. If you don't want this person to be part of your society, then we can take them with us, and then problem solved." Which is okay, problematic narrative in and of itself because you're still allowing them to leave with the idea that this person is a problem that deserves to be outcast from your society. But he wasn't asking their permission. He was saying, "Like, hey, I have a solution for you. We can take this person with us, and they'll be safe." and then they're not gotcha. in your hair anymore. So it's, I get it, but like I would say the way that it is written is less charitable than I think what Riker was trying to achieve in that story. And again, thinking about it in the context of, you know, Jonathan Frake saying later that he wishes that that character had been played by a man, that makes it even more interesting. Yeah, I think, you know, I don't know if he meant when he said that, if he meant that he wanted that to be an even more transcoded narrative, or if he meant that he wanted it to be a explicitly gay coded narrative, right? Because right. I, it could go either way. I'd really, m m Mr. Frakes, if you, if you ever hear this, please tell us. <laughs> yeah, come on the pod. You're welcome. Record like Anytime. a five minute clarification clip. I'm going to be super yeah. scared if Jonathan Frakes comes on the show. Oh, no. No, he we're seems gonna, really sweet gonna... and everything, but he'll never hear this. It's, I hope, Adam, maybe, I don't know. Hi, 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 Mr. Frakes. I like well, we're going to, we're going to try to get a few uh, Trek actors on the show. We've got a few designs on some that we think we can persuade. So if I we welcome net anyone. some of them, if we net some of them, maybe we can persuade uh, Jonathan Frakes to come on. That would be amazing. Let it be the will of the prophets, as it were. We got to get the financing by talking about the actors we got, and we got to get the actors by talking about the financing we got. We can do that. Frakes this. actually has been directing a lot of the Discovery episodes that I've been talking about, so it makes me even more curious about what what's going through his head about this specific issue about trans uh, issues because he's got his finger in that pie yet again, and it's really interesting to me. Yeah, that that is interesting. Like maybe he's trying to make amends or something for the weakness of the TNG era representation. I don't know. Oh, I mean, Star Trek has a history of the actors having push on what's made and what gets said, which is, I mean, one of the, it's cool. Like, cause you can actually evoke an idea and say, no, this isn't how this would work. And this isn't a good outcome, but ultimately you only get so much pull in any given scenario, one assumes, but yeah. he now gets a direct episodes and he's directing totally. these. One assumes he's pretty on board. I'm not going to, yeah, I, I can't like he let please yeah if there's a milkshake duck scenario ugh. but i don't believe that's what's gonna happen and ultimately he seems yeah he's di he's directing those episodes he's pushing these episodes he's very he's sort of the con trying it's to play conscience yeah. of the show yeah or at least staying on board with very it very intentional and i think like Riker is just an absolute bisexual trickster god okay so like it, it just fits therefore by extension jonathan franks is to me no no sparkly <laughs> just, pajamas just watch how he sits down 
<laughs> I can't. Right? Stop yeah, talking. we're all goblins. We're all queer goblins who can't sit in chairs. Right? I'm, I've got my like leg folded up under me right now, and like the other one like askew off to the side of this chair. I think it's like a it's like a stereotype at this point. So an additional piece of this, they're an androgynous race. I just have to tie up and like one last thought on Outcast. They're an androgynous race by design or by their own hand. It seems to be just sort of like, oh, mechanically, we just do this to everyone at birth. And sometimes it pokes back out. Essentially, like the genetics reassert themselves. And so then we send them off to brain surgery camp. And is, I mean, like, I know that it's a very clumsy, huge metaphor for everything else. But the idea of a society, like, just engineering your population is such a strange and, like, ultimately always bad, I assume. Like, I mean, yeah, is there a good, not, like, no eugenics, by, like, addition and push, right? Like, yeah. if you could put gills on everybody, do you start doing that? I feel like it's, if I were to imagine how that came to be, I would have difficulty because it makes very little sense if you actually think about it. But sure. So yeah, it is just a big dumb metaphor that can be a thing. Right. But I mean, there there is this like this idea of like gender abolition in, in a sense as well, where that I think is the extreme of that, where gender is eliminated to the point where even having a gender identity in and of itself is a problem for, for that society. Which like, a lot of that is so difficult to untangle for me mentally from the, I mean, essentially capitalism at this point, but the material conditions that are attached to genders are like, okay, well, if that, like how much of gender role is just stuff we make everyone do and what is everyone actually, what will actually people actually land at in any scenario if you're not surrounded by blue stuff and footballs or whatever yeah. for your yeah i think it is a fascist interpretation of gender abolition is is what you're seeing on that world in that society it's it's like extreme yeah, it's fascist <laughs> well it's good to know that they can be creative in that way also i guess <laughs> like it's good to see there's other ways to do fascism across yeah. the galaxy um, find, find me a society of a society of uh of gender fascists let's uh let's put that in the trans agenda <laughs> <laughs> they just only want it. They all, it's all one outfit. It's very easy to, to design this. There's no Garrex in this world because there's no need for tailoring of any kind. <laughs> so I was having a very eggy argument with a friend uh, about a year ago. So this is a little bit before coming out. And um, Do our listeners know what egg means? Oh, I don't. Jargon alert. Jargon Get alert. Help me. Well, I'm, look, oh, no, oh, I've oh. been on Reddit. I didn't, I didn't care for a whole lot <laughs> no, of it. Okay, I mean, okay, please help okay. me. Thank I you. Will, I will be respectful to our listeners. <laughs> they may all, they're trying to learn something. I love so. y'all. So if I'm on my way to coming out as trans, but not there yet, and it's kind of obvious to everyone else, I would call that being an egg. A chick that hasn't hatched yet. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. That is. That was so that much is, more concise. That is apt um, and beautiful. Yeah. yeah. So I was having one of those. Um, I'm cis. I just care deeply about all trans issues and know everything about them. <laughs> uh, still mm. cis though, kind of things. And my friend says, "Well, you know, like eventually we'll just all be wearing gray jumpsuits and you'll be happy." And I'm like, "No, no. Like whoever said I was against gender expression, you know?" And it's such a weird <laughs> thing that's assumed on the part of people that disagree with you when you're being um critical about gender as it is now or as it what used to be you know that is a very really interesting because there are there's two wings of that right and i feel like i'm gonna get slaughtered in the comments for this but like there's the turf turfy version of that where it's like any 
the, the gender abolitionist turf variety where it's it's like in order for this brand of feminism to succeed trans people can't exist because if they do it threatens the idea that gender expression and identity is irrelevant and should be forgotten about largely right so that's like one wing of it and then the other side is you know i'm i'm kind of on the cusp of gen z and there's a lot of queer folks especially like non-binary and, and gender queer and gender fluid folks that have this like aggressively gender abolitionist idea as well because from their perspective like they do perceive gender as purely social construct and therefore eradicating any kind of like binary expression is like ideal for certain people so like th there's extremists everywhere uh, even even inside the queer community <laughs> That's for certain. I think it's good to kind of, and maybe we need a we need another word for binary trans, right? Because like I think every person I know, including myself, who would like fits that colloquial definition, is also like understanding of the non-binariness of it all, you know. And yeah. like it's it's not that I'm a binary trans person; it's that most of my identity lives on one end of a bimodal distribution. Yeah, yeah, totally. I I feel much the same way. I mean, I I you know, and I've told I think I've told Corey this before, but like I consider myself non-binary and I publicly identify and describe myself as a trans woman for what amounts to political convenience because it's easier to talk about that in like a less complex way and doesn't break the poor little cis brains as much. They can like wrap the, the poor like liberals can lap, wrap their heads around that a little bit easier for some reason. So. And, um, you know, it gets their savior complex going if it's about yep. someone they're gendering as woman. Please won't someone think of the cishets. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, we really should be treating all cishet people with such, they just deserve more <laughs> compassion than we're, we're giving them. Uh, no, no, we, we don't. <laughs> they've, they've had it fine for a while. We've had it fine. <laughs> I don't know. They, everyone's fine. They're like, yeah, believe them. Was that, was that, an egg cracking, was that an egg cracking I hear? <laughs> <laughs> I'm mostly the space in communism on this show. But I'm weird enough as it is. I have my I, I ponce around with a fan. It's fine. Like in public and flap it at people. I feel like it's fine. Nice. So I wonder also about that episode is like, there's like a, there's almost like an international politics element to it as well, which is like, and this has been like in the news a lot lately because of Trump's like, screw you embassies, you can't fly the pride flag. It's like, do we have a responsibility to try to, it's difficult to describe what I'm trying to say, but, but there's maybe Corey, maybe you can help me out, but there's almost like a foreign relations element to this sort of queer and trans narrative in this episode, because it's like, are we imposed? ourselves on this culture because we have different cultural standards or is that you know like an acceptable expression of a, of a different culture because there are cultures like like in india for example where they do have multiple genders codified into their cultural sphere already that are different than the way that we would perceive them but are nevertheless you know exist right so there's that like yeah. who are we etc sort of idea I don't know. I think you're being awfully generous to the U.S. State Department apparatus. And I'm saying this as an American who has lived most of her life outside of the United States and has worked with those entities at different points in my career. I would say that in most cultures where the binary gender construct is still a very fixed proposition, the United States government feels extremely at home with those cultures. <laughs> Fair enough. That is a menacing way to put it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I've actually had the, the very strange experience of living in cultures where in some aspects, 
places where you might not think this is true, just looking from the outside, but in some ways, LGBTQ identity is more accepted and embraced in that country's culture. The, the one that comes top of mind for me is Philippines. Mm, yes. Philippines is, is a very, very deeply Catholic, deeply religious country. It, it's a, it's one of the only countries, it may actually now be the only country left in the world where there is no such thing as a legal divorce. So you still can't get divorced in the Philippines, but they, as a society, they are incredibly accepting of LGBTQI identity and really have advanced in a lot of ways within the context of, of that part of the world, like what these issues mean. Now, not to say that they got it all right, they do not. There's a lot a lot of issues there. Um, still, marriage equality is a long ways off. Now, a lot of that has to do with the Catholic Church's influence. But in terms of like social acceptance and visibility and integration and the way people just accept, you know, the fluidity of people's identity on any part of of that in in that area, it's it's so much more open in the Philippines than it is even in the U.S. Um, and I think that's why I, I that's that's kind of where I'm coming down on this is that I think that uh, U.S. is quite happy to keep things in what we consider the traditional we, <laughs> we the U.S. government consider the yeah. traditional roles and, and realms. Interesting. I think it would be really interesting to look at like where that is. I don't know. Is it is it just like a is it just like a, a an extension of propaganda? This this idea that like that the State Department is like pushing or actively like supporting queer folks abroad, or is that a real thing that happens? No, it's it's a hundred percent propaganda that that claim is being asserted because if we actually gave a shit about governments that are suppressing human rights in general and LGBT rights specifically, then we would be taking a much harder line on countries like Russia, on countries like China, yeah. countries like Saudi Arabia. I mean, we're quite happy to do business with all of these places and not actually call out their gross human rights abuses in any respect because it continues to benefit the capitalist class. Um Am I illegal where you live right now? <laughs> I, I, I never checked. Uh, you are very much, you would very much be illegal here. <laughs> Great. Yeah. So love you, but don't come visit here. <laughs> oh, but if anything, the U.S. is actually exporting kind of the more homo-hating variety of things. You know, like we have individual senators, sure. you know, helping people legislate in Africa and sponsoring that kind of crap. And, mm -hmm. you know, the religious right has started to use other countries as a laboratory for how to get this oppression back in effect. Yeah. Anybody remember when uh, when South Africa learned how to do apartheid from America? <laughs> Oh. It is a remarkably a consistent set of systems that are replied at varying degrees and intensities, isn't it? Yeah. A little, little, yeah. little switchboard of fun. Yeah. Oh. But maybe one day we'll get to gay space communism. Well, yeah. that's kind well, of where we're hoping to go. Definitely look forward to those days. <laughs> fully automated luxury gay space communism i mean i'll do some of the work well you would think that but what about lower decks they get worse replicator rations like how's that work out yeah lower decks is really um that's the premise of our show a little bit <laughs> and it's one yeah of the yeah i actually haven't yeah. I, I haven't seen lower decks yet but i've i've heard that about it and i'm looking forward to getting to it it's uh it, it, i've heard a lot of good things they say it's canon so we have to take it at face value <laughs> That means canonically there's come in the replicator filters. It's a fantastic <laughs> thing they've made true. <laughs> um, 
and that's just yeah it's like uh, sorry you can't have that premium coffee because you're a dirty like ensign like try getting a promotion scrub yeah we can only <laughs> allocate right. so much of this warp core to you having shoes <laughs> which you know i used to be like yeah sure dilithium whatever my power is infinite like goodbye but discovery is like discovery scares me a little because it's that like entropy the universe is running out of stuff we need kind of feeling it is it's nice to see them run themselves up against it a little though i don't know i think a lot of people had a lot of high hopes for voyager because it was trying like oh shit no no it's hard they don't have all their stuff we built all this world yeah and it's like uh discoveries like they they turned dilithium into oil it's like oh no we're out of oil oh wait all the oil exploded oh hey look we found more oil it's all good now (laughs) like (laughs) we just have to almost destroy the galaxy a second time to make it work well, you know, it's all yeah. worth it if, if you, it's very, very start. It's, well, is, again, the prime directive is not actually that ethical of a premise, and or that is strong. the burn a climate change narrative? Oh, I think it is absolutely hmm. coming I mean, to that realization just now as we speak. Well, unfortunately, it's a post climate change metaphor. It feels like like oh no, oh, boy, everything's broken. Now un unfuck it with your magic feelings about things being good and your magic mushroom drive. Oh my god, get high on mushrooms, see all of space. <laughs> I mean, I like the plan. I'm just not sure how much good it's going to do anybody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and I think uh, so. Like back on the like LGBTQ and, and trans narratives topic, I think I can't wait. You know, I haven't fin- finished season three of Discovery, but I can't wait to see where they take that. Like, I'm so so happy that it is a thing outside of Trek, but still in the realm. You guys have seen the Expanse, I'm sure, right? Oh yeah, of course. Oh, I'm actually yeah. reading the books right now because. Uh, okay. Yeah, I, I mean, I've seen all the the shows that have aired so far, but I'm in the middle of reading the books at the moment. Is that not the gayest, queerest thing you've ever seen in sci-fi? Like, my God, especially like the later well, seasons. It is definitely, yeah. Belters are extremely pragmatic, and gender is just simply not a necessary part of the conception. It feels like. Mm-hmm. And there's just like a casual like piracy polyamory family like <laughs> yeah pirate polycule. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So something about being in space turns you into it turns you into a polycule, I guess. But not into a communist apparently. So we still got to work on part of it. I mean, there's a lot of Marxism going on with the OPA factions. I think. I mean, the Belters represent a. I see middle class on Earth. Belters as uh, essentially all worker the workers creating things, but who have nowhere to be, and Mars as military, and well, obviously because yeah. that's what Mars. But you, you get it. It's a matter. See, because we we called it Mars, and that's where we. Yeah. <laughs> I think that we are entering a bold new era of queer and trans narratives in sci-fi, and I, for one, welcome our new cishet writers, uh, overlords, to bring it to fruition. <laughs> They finally let us start playing our own people with yeah. with uh, Discovery. Well, it's nice to just have a narrative instead of a coded narrative, you know? Right. Or like, a, oops, we got it right. I, <laughs> I guess that's the lesson, isn't it? Dang. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, we usually uh, wrap up by playing a little game here. And I thought we'd play How Many Ways Can You Ship Bashir? So how this is going to work is everybody's got to name one character that you're shipping with Bashir and how. And we'll just go around. So I'll start, then Corey, then Paul, then Samantha. And whoever can't think of one loses. 
Okay, Ooh. so there, I got you. Yeah, yeah, we're creating the we're creating the STI mapping for yeah. Bashir. Yeah, exactly. Are so, we, so are we, are we including people that he's explicitly already shipped with in in the show? Um, well, yeah, the low hanging fruit. Like, uh, I could say the section 30, 37 guy is is his daddy. <laughs> Again, the canonically pleather daddy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we have to use the canon we've already created. Oh my god, I've got right. some really good ideas. <laughs> Because we're going to keep talking about that guy, and, and the, he is the pleather daddy. It's because he's the weird CIA input that you get out of the TNG era. That So yeah, pleather daddy's a good one. Who's next? Man, you'd think they call it quits after almost destroying all sentient life. <laughs> uh, Corey, what you got? I think he would definitely throw down with Dr. Crusher, and she would throw down with him because she is into those kind of guys. She likes guys that are, you know, a little bit feminine like her, and they would love to just nerd out with each other and oh they have definitely done it in a hotel room at a medical conference for sure for sure (laughs) definitely like bashir has crushed her for sure (laughs) what you got paul i mean i'm it's not low-hanging fruit because golly it's just right there in front of you being ambiguous garrick because of course they have lunch all the time he knows his inseam his emotional support lizard. I'm grabbing the easy, again, the low-hanging fruit's there. You should get it while it's hot, as it were. <laughs> oh, my God. I am going to skip past Miles O'Brien, no offense to Miles O'Brien fans, and ship Bashir with Gold Ducat, oh. Um Because, Ooh. yeah, because Ducat is, I think... The kind of person who would—he'd he, be like that—that that Tinder or Grinder match that would be like, "I'm straight. I'm just doing this because I want to," and also I'm a dom. It's that—I forget what you call those, but but he—I he, feel like he would see Bashir as this like thing to be conquered. So it could be interesting. I'm sure there's some fan fiction out there. Oh yeah. Let's see. Let's actually ship him on vacation with Keiko and O'Brien. <gasps> Ooh. Ooh. Because I think he gives better head than either Keiko or O'Brien. <laughs> and he's just like the pinch header. That's a uh, fantastic baseball joke. And I and Ben Sisko applaud you. <laughs> my father would be proud. <laughs> All right, so is it my turn again? Yes, it is. Okay, I'm going to go. Uh, I'm going to take off another one of those pieces of low hanging fruit. I'm going to ship him with Kira because, of course, in real life, the two of them were an item and they certainly had a lot of chemistry in the show. And uh, there was even the episode where they got infected with uh, Loxana's love madness virus and started making out with each other. So I definitely think that, uh, that Bashir and Kira threw down. Just once, though. <laughs> yeah she's like all right that's yeah no i'm good i'm good we have to we do it different on bejor you're not you did it you learned how we but mm, it's not thanks <laughs> yeah i'm gonna get the goo man he's gonna fill me up like a balloon that's terrible <laughs> oh that was whoa just just say moist <laughs> what you got samantha is it me again already? Um, I, th- I think i i think that counted as me losing my guess or was my was my turn <laughs> Uh, I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure whether to take you seriously or not. Um, let's see. So I think I still I can't help but see that like pile of neurodivergent like genetically uh, altered folks as like like that definitely turned into an orgy at some point. Come on, like at least with like three or four of them for sure. Yeah, the three that were awake and then the one that stumped him. <laughs> yeah, like the permanently <laughs> horny lady. Yeah, that was definitely yeah. one. Totally her, but like also there were like three people that would like disappear with Bashir. I think and like the rest of them would be irritated by it. Mm, yeah, oh yeah. We were gonna play chess. 
<laughs> God damn it, we have the freaking entropy to fix. Get back in here. Okay, let's see. What about... Oh, shit. What if, like, him and Worf were, like, stuck on a planet, like, with the Miles O'Brien episode and him were in that one thing, and they, like, had to work Worf together it to survive? Him. Worf it oh, eat him. Yeah. I mean, I... Him in half. I mean, I realize <laughs> that Bashir probably doesn't have enough holes for Worf, but that's okay. You can manage. <laughs> well, it's not the only part of him that's genetically engineered. All right. That's, I'm, I'm, I'm probably off the show. <laughs> I got one more. I got one more. Mirror Universe Giorgio. Wow. Totally. Like some weird like Section 31 like mission. Uh-huh. They cross paths. Like 100%. I mean, we've already established that he likes being dominated. So I think that with that, we will conclude the game and award the prize to Corey uh, at CBS. <laughs> Please contact us. We will write this episode for you. Um, it is now time to plug things and ourselves. Uh, I'm Paul Byron. I do comedy. I'm on Critical Bits. I'm also at hashtag subtext and Critical Bits is at Critical Bitcast. We are Gay Space Communism. We're at Gay Space Cast on Twitter and we are part of the Not Safe Medium Network. You can check that out at patreon.com slash not safe, youtube.com slash not safe media, and an assortment of links that are found near and by there. Corey, talk to him. Yeah, so I'm on Twitter at CM Archibald. I'm pretty easy to find there. Pretty much just talk about politics and Trek and sometimes cats. Cats are wonderful. They're good cats. Yes. They're pretty cats. Yes, they are. Amy? Uh, Amy Hassel. Uh, you can find me um, at A Hassel on Twitter. Uh, that's four A's and two S's. Yeah, do some music every once in a while, participate in not safe media stuff, and, um, you know, complain about politics. You'll hear that too. And Samantha, would you, do you have anything you'd like to tell people about? Sure, yeah. I'm Samantha Booker. You can find me on Twitter at SCE Booker or Boucher for you, you uh, Waterboy fans. And uh, I <laughs> With am... a surprisingly high crossover, you'd be, you'd be shocked. I'm not shocked at all, honestly. And uh, I am a uh, captive in the middle of the American cornfields uh, in the Midwest, unwillingly. And I do politics stuff. So find me on Twitter. We'll hang out and nerd about Trek anytime. Thanks for having me on. And thank you for coming here. That was fun. Thank you very much for for talking to us. Anyway, we're gay space communism. I'm generally speaking communism. I'm space. (laughs) I'm gay. (laughs) And that's been the show. Thank you ever so much. Love y'all.